Okay, well, we continue our study in the book of James, and James is interesting for several reasons. What might they be? What are a couple of reasons? He's kind of unique, really. It's a good name. Hey there, Jim. <laughs> hey, you know, it's, yeah, it's extremely practical, and it's almost written, once we get into it, like, a, like Proverbs. You know, he's got these snippets. He uses a ton of metaphors and nature, you know, like the waves of the sea or the tongue is, you can tame all the animals, but you can't tame the tongue. So he uses a lot of uh, symbols and metaphors, and he's appealing, or he's writing to who? Predominantly. Yeah, Christians, but verse 1, verse 2, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, to Jewish believers, very similar when you look at 1 Peter. Peter says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered, because again, uh, the early church uh, was predominantly Jewish. Sometimes we don't think about that, but I know it says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not, and National Israel rejected our Lord, of course, and the kingdom went to the Gentiles. But chapter 1 through chapter 15 uh, in, the, in, the, in the book of Acts is predominantly Jewish. And where are they headquartered at? Jerusalem, which is very unique because that's where their, savior, that's where their leader, their Messiah, died and rose from the dead. And that's where they make their headquarters almost like a challenge to say, if you want to disprove it, disprove it. But here's where we're setting up our headquarters, right here. And of course, it was in the heart of the temple. It was in the heart with the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the, the scribes, the Sadducees, let alone the Roman Empire. But that was so, they were so convinced that they had met the risen Savior, that that's where they were going to establish the church. And again, even critics of Christianity have a hard time kind of dealing with that because you might think, well, these guys will go back up north. They'll go back up to the Galilee. They'll maybe establish things there or leave the country, go to Antioch or go somewhere else. But no, they do it in Jerusalem. And you'll see that's where the church generally is set up <clears throat> until it really starts going out to the Gentile world in the latter part of the book of Acts. And so the other thing is, who is James? They, they believe, yeah the stepbrother, half-brother, as it were, of our Lord, uh, just like Jude is. And you can see that in Galatians and some other places where he's actually referenced as uh, the brother of the Lord. We went over that, I think, in the intro. So, um, and of course, James, why didn't Martin Luther like this book? What did he call this gospel or this epistle? Straw. Straw. Why? Huh? Yeah, he definitely convicts you and challenges the readership, you know, in, in about sin, and we'll see that this morning. But why? Luther didn't... Yeah, he, because the emphasis on works. James is big on works. And, of course, the whole thing with Luther, the just shall live by faith. Remember when he sees that in Romans, and that kind of illuminates. And, and we're going to see we are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. Matter of fact, in chapter 16 of Acts with the Philippian jailer, he says, Paul says to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy home. So belief is central to the relationship we receive by faith, the free gift of salvation. But the evidence of that faith, the outworking of that faith is works. And works are extremely important. You can't get them reversed, 
you know, the, the, the famous formulation is, of course, uh, we are saved for good works, but we are not saved by good works. Does that make sense? Because, again, if, it, if we were saved by good works, um, how many good works would we have to do? You know what I'm saying? How many good works would we have to do? The other thing is, if we're saved by good works, why was the cross necessary? Because if you study Buddhism, Islam, Scientology, Confucius, they are all about works. And some of them actually have a fairly high ethical system. Don't be a drunkard, don't commit adultery. But that's not man's problem. You see, that's, that he does bad things or doesn't do good things. Man's problem is we're spiritually separated from God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's no way we can bridge that chasm. All holy God here, sinful man here. How do you, how do you, how many good works, how much good work scaffolding or bridging do we need to come to God? Can't do it unless God comes to us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believeth faith in him should not perish. Any thoughts on this? Just kind of like a wave of background on the book of James. Yes, please. Right. We need life. And, and when you're grafted on, you're grafted onto the, to the vine that has the life flowing through it. And again, the, the, the analogy is giving uh, the difference between a, a Christmas tree in your living room and an evergreen out in your front yard. You know, you cut down the, the Christmas tree and you bring it in, you decorate it with lights and bulbs and stars and tinsel, and it looks really pretty, but that tree is essentially what? Dead. You know, the needles start falling and all that. But the one out in, the, in your yard, if properly nourished, is year-round. We, we can decorate the Christmas tree, let's say, with good works. It looks pretty, but it's dead. You see, you understand? We need life. I yes? Yeah. Well, that's why Jesus will say in John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. It's that abiding in the life. Okay. Um, now, James, some call nuts and bolts of Christian living because he is so practical about everyday life. And we ended last week with the last two verses in chapter 1, verse 26, where he says, If any among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. In other words, he's going to talk about later, he's going to expand on this, is controlling our speech, our talk, our tongue. He, he says man can, can, can tame all the wild animals, but the tongue is unruly, and it can start a fire. We're going to get to that when we come to the latter chapters. But, but then he'll say, he gets on this idea of works. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself spot, unspotted or sanctified in the world. In other words, inwardly we're pure, we're clean, we're our sanctification, but outwardly, when we have opportunity, we're doing practical works of mercy or care or compassion. Does that see how James, inward, outward? And the Bible clearly says that um, 
it'll say here about, about God, who gave himself for us that he might redeem uh, us all from iniquity, that's the polluted world, and purify our, there's our sanctification, unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Zealous. In other words, we're looking, uh, you know, opportunities. How do we express our Christian faith? Pastor talked about it a little bit this morning in real practical works of mercy or charity or visiting or whatever. Um, again, for we are his workmanship. In other words, God has recreated us in Christ. So we're being conformed to his image. Created in Christ Jesus. Why? Unto good works. But before we can get unto good works, we first have to be his workmanship. That's what the previous verses in Ephesians say. We're not saved by works, but by grace through faith. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And there's our visible outward walk. Any comment on this? You see how it, 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 it's not either or. And that's where people get confused, I think, when you, look, you study, let's say, the book of Romans, which is all about... Uh, the just shall live by faith. And then you come to the epistle of James and you see a heavy uh, emphasis on works. You think, but it, it is, it does blend together. It's like saying, uh, it, is the, 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 the sun give off heat or light? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not either or, it's both. You know, so do, do we have inward faith? Yeah. Do we have outward works? Yeah. It's just what it is. One is the expression of the other. Uh, and of course our Lord says this, let, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And if you study the history of the church, the church is about good works. I mean, really, uh, you travel the world or you read history in terms of hospitals or literacy or orphanages or care for the wounded in war, or uh, rescuing abandoned babies, even during the Roman Empire times, to present day. Uh, when we travel, Marie and I, to different countries, you see works of mercy. We were just up in Chiang Mai, and this couple started t 25 years ago a rescue for HIV-infected babies. A tremendous ministry today. But it's a pra Now that is a real bright light People might not understand Christianity, but they do see that work of mercy. Do you understand? That's why Jesus says, your light shall not to call attention to yourself, but he says here, that they might glorify your Father. The light attracts, and then they hear the good news, but it's not to lift oneself up, but to glorify our Heavenly Father. Okay, so just kind of laying the groundwork here. Okay, let's look at the book of James in uh, chapter 2. Very important verse where he starts here. He says, notice he always uses this word brothers, or he'll say my beloved brothers. So he really has this pastoral heart, but he'll say that, and then he'll like, boom, boom, you know, he'll like <laughs> correct him. <laughs> but what comes through is he really loves these people. He really cares, even though they're, you know, kind of diaspora. They're all out there scattered. Uh, he says, my dear brothers, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at this title he uses of Jesus. The Lord of glory with partiality. That's a very powerful title uh, to use of our Lord. You'll see the same thing in 1 Corinthians 2.8 um, where he says this, Paul writing says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, uh, about uh, 
well, verse 7 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified, what? The Lord of glory. So anyone that has a problem with the deity of Christ, like cults, like Jehovah Witness or Mormon, you take these kind of titles, that is deity specific. There's no, you know, you would never call an angel Lord of glory. Lord of glory? You see, the, the glory means God's visible manifestation to man. Do you understand? This is, I'll give you an example. Um, down here, here. Uh, this whole term, Lord of glory, is, is very powerful. Um, number one, in Exodus, again, Pastor was talking about this this morning. In the Exodus journey, God says in uh, Exodus chapter 25, now, build me a tabernacle. I am going to dwell. That is a game changer. You don't get other religions saying that, okay? I talk with Muslims and they say, no, Allah, he's transcendent. He is way out there. He will not come down. And if he comes down at all with messages, he sends it by way of an angel. Uh, they would say Gabriel. But you don't get this a God who is transcendent. Solomon says the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, O Lord. But he is a God who is imminent. He comes down. And once this tabernacle is constructed, it says Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see that glory of the Lord? That's applied to Jesus, the Lord of glory. The manifest presence of God. Again, now they get into Jerusalem, you know, they're in the promised land, they no longer need a, a temporary portable tabernacle, they establish a temple, again, pastor spoke of this, it's like our message are interwoven here this morning, and it says here, the priests could not perform their service, it's in the temple, because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple, do you see, so God's glory in the tabernacle, God's glory in the temple. And that's what made it unique. There was never a temple on earth like that where God's presence rested. Remember, you, you, like Pastor said, you have the outer, you know, temple, and you have the court of the Gentiles way out here, court of the women here, court of the men here, and then the priest, and then you come in to the sacrificial place, the altar, the brazen altar, then you go through the door, and you're in the holy place. That's where the father of John the Baptist was doing incense and that's when the angel came and said your wife will bear a son you'll call him John you go through that curtain once a year you're in the holy of holies and that's where the ark of the covenant was the mercy seat cherubim figurines and God says I dwell there that's powerful I mean that's that's why when Jesus comes and he says destroy this temple while he's standing right in front of that temple destroy this temple and I will what raise it up in three days powerful. Do you understand the linkage? That's why we have a reasonable faith. Um, if you want to connect the dots, it's not haphazard. It's not. It, God unfolded his thing in a very systematic way so that once the temple, following this same thought, in John 1.14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld what? His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Now, the glory of God is in flesh. You understand? It's in flesh. 
And through his death, burial, and resurrection, now we can become the temple of God. It's perfect. It's symmetry. Any thoughts on this? And in Thailand, this is how we walk people through who have very little concept of the Bible. They weren't raised on the Bible. Not but you can walk them through using this object lesson of the tabernacle, temple, Jesus. Now we can become the tabernacle. Powerful. I mean, I, especially with the Corinthians, I think the Apostle Paul is pulling out his hair sometimes because they're very carnal if you study the letter. And he goes, no, you not. Your bodies are a temple or a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. He's like, come on, God, you know, don't you realize this is the greatest mystery hidden all, throughout all the ages? Colossians chapter 1, what is it? Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Greatest mystery. We, we don't have a philosophy or a moral system. I mean, we have all those things, but Christianity is so much more. It's a living relationship with a God who wants to inhabit us. Okay, I don't want to preach that. He preached that this morning. Okay, okay. So he, he's saying, verse 1, so he's saying, the Lord of glory. Now, he's going to hit at something very hard here, verse 2 and 3. For if there should come into your assembly a man with a gold ring in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, think like homeless person, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man you stand over there or basically sit here at my footstool or, or sit on the floor over there in the corner have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts what's he saying here to this group and, and chances are this was happening that's why he's being very specific what's he yes please well, looks are deceiving why well, yeah, in this situation, what the rich guy comes in and he, he just has all the, the appearance of wealth and power and influence, and this poor little guy comes in, and the Christians there that say they're representatives of Christ in this community of believers are doing what? Showing partiality. You see, this is the problem. They were showing outwardly what was inwardly in their heart. That's what James is getting at, that you're self-deceived. Remember he says before, yourself. the worst kind of deception is self-deception because they thought they were righteous, but their attitude and their conduct betrayed their true motive or their attitude toward human beings. Yes, please. But could he also be saying, you're valuing God's eyes. A lot of people value differently. You should Yeah, somebody else had a question. Yes, please, and, Kim. And, I, and this, that's exactly what I was thinking about. When Jesus imposed this new order of life, it was a complete inversion of what he, the social structures of the day. I remember reading it in Egypt. The only real person was the pharaoh. That's why he had such a burial place in the temple. There were so many. The idea that everyone is real, as real as everyone else, for Jesus is so obvious. When the new idea... Yeah. No, you bring out a good point. Jesus did not simply come to bring salvation. I mean, as amazing as that is, and he did, don't get me wrong, 
But to your point, he came to change everything, to flip culture and society and how we relate. He elevates children. Uh, Let the little children come unto me, unless you become like a little child. For such is the kingdom of God. He elevates women, okay, in a culture that did not. You see, they were part of his team, his disciples. They were the last at the cross. They were the first at the resurrection message. With God. He, he elevates, you know. Uh, he, he says, I'll show you the scriptures in a minute. There's neither Greek nor Jew, Scythian nor slave. We don't realize what Jesus came to do is change everything. He, he like wanted to uh, knock or planet Earth off its axis, if you will. My friend suggested that Jesus got in the showroom of life and reversed all the price tags. <laughs> you want to be first be last you want to be a, a leader be a servant you want to live die you know he just it's so paradoxical but it's beautiful when you see it working we as believers in this community should be a different community to offer to the world here's how we get along here's how we settle conflicts we we hold all people in high esteem for there's many reasons but three Number one, they're made in the image of God. Psalm 8, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels, number one. Number two, Jesus died for him or her. Number three, they have an eternal destiny. And number four, somebody sometime looked upon us and prayed for us or shared with us or dealt with us so we could be here today as believers. There's many reasons why we must not demean who God has called. Remember when the, chapter 10, when Peter receives that vision of those, those animals, unclean animals? And what did Peter say? Lord, I love Peter how he says stuff. Lord, I can't eat that. They're unclean. And, and what did the voice say? What God has called clean, let, and basically go to the Gentile. Go, go visit Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion, and share with him the gospel. He's precious in my sight, you see? Very, very important point here, and the scriptures are very clear on this, where it says, um, brothers and sisters, uh, I want to get another one here. Peter opened his mouth and said, of truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And this is a Greco-Roman world that put high influence on wealth and power. That was it. You had wealth, you had power, and you displayed it. Yeah, John. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. If you study the book of Acts, there was bias and prejudice. You know why deacons were appointed way back there in chapter 5 of the book of Acts? What what was the motive to appoint deacons? Yeah, but what what was the impetus? Who was being neglected? Which widows? Ah, Greek widows. Now remember what I said? The, Jew, the church is predominantly what at that time? Jewish. Jewish. So there could have been 
a little bit of bias or prejudice. And that's why it's interesting, the deacons they appoint, by name at least, they all appear to be Greek. Uh, another time, uh, look at Galatians chapter 2 for a moment. What I'm getting at, the early church is human. You know, they, they were dealing with issues, but they dealt with them. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, and this is the famous account. Um, where, okay, Paul is going to go and encounter uh, Peter. They're up at um, Antioch at this time, verse 11. Uh, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, and don't forget that was the first missionary sending church, Gentile missionary sending church. Uh, I withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. So much for the infallibility of the Pope. But I mean, uh, so he says, for before certain men came from James, remember James is a leader at this time, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. What's, what's Peter doing here that Paul is going to call him out publicly? He's doing something. And he's dragging others into it because it says in verse 13, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. What's, what is he doing? He's following the law, but he's doing something publicly and visibly. Who's he eating with initially? Oh, Gentile believers. And then who comes into the cafeteria? Jewish believers. What does Peter do? Gets his tray. What's he showing him? There's a favoritism, and he's influencing others to follow him in that. And... and, and and Paul's going to say, don't do that, Peter. Don't show that bias. Uh, we're one body. He goes through it. And he, because you did it publicly, I'm going to chastise you publicly. These guys were real guys. I mean, they, you know, they didn't go through this uh, 12 steps to confrontation and reconciliation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to send you a letter. And no, no. So they were real, and they were dealing with real issues. But do you see how bias and prejudice can creep in, you know? And, and that's what James is addressing, because we are a new people, you know, and it, and it says clearly in the scriptures, uh, the Old Testament, he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they all the work of his hands. Again, why is man valuable, women valuable, children were a creation of God, made in the image of God, Howbeit flawed, and flawed, nevertheless, we still retain the preciousness, you know, what does it profit a man if he would gain the whole world but lose that? Again, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. The old adage is, all ground is level at the foot of the cross. All ground is level at the foot of the cross. You know, we belong to, a, Marie and I belong to a mission organization for 30, 40 years now, but it draws internationally. You know, draws from, you know, at one time on the Thai field, we had a very large mission group. We had 40, was it 40 adults, Marie? And just as many children, believe it or not. But we were American, German, New Zealand, Singaporean, Chinese, uh, British, Irish, um, Korean. Just, and I mean, that could cause some problem. I mean, it did sometimes. But what I'm saying is when it worked, it like really displayed uh, the, the body of Christ. 
It really did. Because all these different nations came together with all our differences and bias and political, whatever, and this and that. But for the sake of the gospel and the extension of the kingdom of God in that part of the world, we said this is our focus. This is what, this is, this is what unites us. That's the tip of the pyramid. All this down here may divide us. You're Presbyterian, they're Baptist, they come from, but this is, this is what unifies us. And, and when it was working, it was working. It, everybody brought something to the table in terms of gifting. It was really, it reminded me in the book of Revelation where around the throne of the Lamb, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every family, you know, just, it was, we, we believe it or not, we have what the world needs. How do different ethnicities and races and people and classes get along in a good way? Well, we're, we're, that's what we're called to be. We're called to be more than just people who accepted Christ and are believers. You know, we're called to, you know, that, that's why, how many were at the meeting at the Le Center this past Friday? I mean, we had almost 300 men in there. And if you would do a census, we had guys that are in there, CEOs, we have millionaires, we have plastic surgeons, we have guys that are semi-homeless, that are looking for work. We have guys way over on this side of belief, pastors, now we have this side over here, a Muslim, he's kind of curious about Christianity. But what unites us is they all want to hear the word of God and they sense a certain kindred fellowship that nobody's bringing an agenda. You know what I'm saying? It works, does it not? John, you were there and you, could, you can like feel it. And that's very welcoming. Somebody had their hand up. On, yes, please. Yeah. A little bit louder. Well, yeah, I mean, he, and plus he tends to go towards the marginalized. If you really look at him, and that's why he, the religious leaders of his day were so upset with him. Not only did he reach out to the tax collectors, the harlot, the sinners, and all these, but he also ate with them. I mean, that's serious uh, offensiveness to the self-righteous. But Jesus saw the value in these. I mean, if you study Mark chapter 5, he takes, he leaves his side of the Galilee, the Jewish side of it, he goes across Lake Galilee, goes through a storm, wakes up, stills the storm, gets out of the boat, and delivers one man. The man was demon-possessed. He was living in a cemetery, self-destructive. He's cutting himself. He's screaming night and day, and Jesus delivers him and heals him and then commissions him and says, go tell your friends what great things the Lord. And then the, what does he do? He gets back in the boat, and he goes back. He went that great distance through a storm to reach who? The mayor? The celebrity? The sports star? A demon? Who cares? A demon-possessed guy who's basically killing himself and living in a cemetery in chains? That's the love of God. Yes, please. But, but, but there's a difference. They were separated from the world, but they were to be in the world. That's why 
what Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment of all? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor. That was not a new commandment. That's in Leviticus chapter 19. You see what I'm saying? They were always meant to love, but what they did was they just went to the ritual. Therefore, all they saw was the law. So when Jesus comes into the temple region and he heals a man that was crippled from birth, and the guy's like jumping and dancing and tech, checking out his new legs, you know, he's just, and what do the religious leaders come and say to Jesus? You did that on the Sabbath. This guy, you know, he's just, he's just got his legs back. He's, he's, he's walking, he's jumping. Aren't you happy? And you're saying, I broke the Sabbath? You see, they, they, they strained at a gnat and they swallowed a camel. We can do that today if we get so religious and so ritualistic, we don't see that person God has put in our path that he wants us to reach. Because maybe we're so busy going to church. What? Yeah. Yeah, plus they were into the appearance. That's why Jesus says, you love the chief seats at the feast. You want to be seen when you pray. When you give offering, you want to blow the trump, you know, uh, the, the horn. Look, look what I'm doing here. When you fast, you want to tell people you're fasting. That's why Jesus says, you whited sepulchers. In other words, on the outside, you're looking good, but on the inside, you're dead man's bones. Not the best way to win friends and influence people, but that's what he said, because outwardly, they had a good show, but inwardly, they were corrupted. But you're right. Matter of fact, when we went to the burnt-out house, which is a very palatial in size and dimension, that was a priest's house. Yeah, that was a priest's house. Somebody else had their hand? Okay, let's go here. So this is this idea of partiality, and this is totally uh, adverse in the Scripture. Uh, even in the Old Testament, this is from 1 Samuel. The Lord maketh the poor, he maketh the rich. He bringeth low, he lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. He lifteth the beggar from the dunghill to set them among the princes, to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. This is one of the things when Jesus comes to bring the good news, he doesn't come just to, to, to the lame, the crippled, the eyesight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, but also to preach the good news to the poor you know he had a message for, and this is really around the world that tends to be uh those are the ones that embrace the faith christianity i mean for years in uh, india the people that were most receptive to the, the christian faith were people that had leprosy you see because they were marginalized nobody cared about them and you know hopeless and helpless and here's a message god loves you you know, he's got a plan. He's, you know, you can be a temple. You can be a beautiful temple of the Holy Spirit, even in this condition. So, and today, interestingly enough, a big missionary hospital called Manorum, Central Thailand, used to be, have a leprosarium. You could go there and see it. 
Um, but now, leprosy's been pretty much reduced, eradicated. Now it's being used for HIV AIDS. And, and the Christian church there is reaching out, not just to the AIDS-infected person, but their entire family. Because you're dealing with issues of hopelessness and guilt and shame and you know, all these other issues. So you minister to the whole family. We have teams that are trained to do that specifically. But again, it's, it's faith being visibly worked out. Somebody else said their hand up. Okay, so this is what he's saying here. Um, you're shown, then he says in verse 5, James chapter 2, Listen, my beloved brethren, I like that, beloved brethren, God has not chosen the poor of this world. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do not they blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? See? Well, why is it that the rich have difficulty with salvation? And the poor are very receptive. Pardon me, Kathleen? They, they have no need. They have no need. And that's when Jesus goes to that parable of the wealthy landowner that had a great crop that year, what does he do? needs more barns, you know, U-Haul storage space or whatever, you know, he needs more, you know, and it has another bumper crop. Was it bad that he was prospering? No. no. It could have been just good stewardship or whatever. It, and he, he says, I, I have increased my goods. I have done this. Uh, take ease my soul and take rest. In other words, retire or whatever. And what, what does God say to him? Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be... He, he, had, he had plans for everything. He was self-satisfied. He had all his needs met, but he never considered God. See? That can be a problem with wealth. Now, again, wealth is... Poverty nor wealth, neither are virtuous by, you know, by themselves. But if, if, if people feel no need uh, that their life is full and satisfied, why would they look for a, a savior? You know, they might just think, I'm a pretty good person. I've given... So much on my taxes to, you know, the charitable deductions and this and that. Yeah, John. I think it's easier for the more wealth or sense that you're in a good place, you're higher, or closer to the peak of the mountain, and when you're impoverished or struggling, you're in more in the valley, and we know that when we're in the valley is when we, the Lord speaks to us the most. Yeah, plus, plus they're, they're going to be more dependent on prayer, you know? For needs and for situations, where, where, when the, uh, the wealthy person might say, "Well, I'll just call my accountant, or I'll just go to the bank and get more," so there there can be that problem where wealth can be actually. That's why when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, very interesting in that uh, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, when the rich young ruler turn back there just for this is kind of almost humorous. Mark chapter ten. Um, Mark chapter ten. Um, this is this is in verse 13 uh, this is interesting it says then they brought uh, Mark chapter 10 verse 13 then they brought little children to Jesus that he might touch them basically to bless them but the disciples rebuked them okay again children in that society and culture were like 
a hassle. You know, I mean, they were just, you know, they're just troublesome kind of little guys. But stay in that same chapter, when the blind man, blind Bartimaeus, in, in verse 46, he's crying out. Jesus is passing by. He can't see him, but he hears about him. But look at verse 48. Then many warned him, what? To be quiet. But he cried out the more. Then Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man. Who is this? Maybe. Who's calling the blind man to come to Jesus? Could be his disciples because they're right there with Jesus. Do you understand this? Now they say, be of good cheer. The master calls you. So if it is the disciples, they're keeping the little children. This guy that has this really pressing need. But right there in verse 17 of this chapter, who don't they prevent from coming to Jesus? The rich young ruler. Now, I'm not saying what's going I'm just saying it's, it's human nature. You see what I'm saying? To, to, to be like this. And of course, the rich young ruler, a couple of interesting things about him is number one, he had everything, so to speak, but he still knew there was more to fulfill his life. And, and, and the thing that was keeping him in that relationship with God was all these things. Jesus doesn't tell everybody, give, sell all that you got and come. But he is doing it specifically here uh, because uh, this is what was preventing this guy. He was rich, he was young, he was powerful. Those are the characteristics, like I said last week, of if you have a GQ magazine or Success magazine, if you can be young, or at least look young, if you can be rich, and if you can be powerful, you own your own company. Or you, those are the, the high status marks of today. But if you don't have a relationship with God, what good are they? And, and it, it says in the one gospel, it says Jesus looked at this young man and loved him. It says he looked at him and he loved him. He says, go sell what you got and you come follow me and I'll give you wealth. I'll show you riches. Uh, but what's interesting here, he turns his back on our Lord, walks away. We don't know nothing about this guy other than he was rich and he was uh, wealthy. I mean, he was rich, young, wealthy, and powerful. Know nothing about this guy. But the blind man, 2,000 years later, we know his name. Bartimaeus. Bar meaning son of Timaeus. We know his name and we know his father's name. And he was a blind beggar. But in God's eyes, he had high significance. You see how the scales of God are different than the scales of men? Okay, back here on James. So, again, what's being stressed here is this fact that, and you got to feel for these, this early church. I mean, everything is in transition. It's a tsunami, in a sense, because especially for Jewish believers, why? What was going on? I mean, to appreciate what was... I mean, here comes Jesus, claims to be Messiah, dies crucified on the cross, risen from the grave, stays on earth 40 days, meets people upwards to a crowd of 500, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Now Gentiles are coming in. Do you understand? Gentiles. What was the Jewish... If you kept kosher and you were an observant Jew, what did you call Gentiles? Dogs. They're outside. You know, they're... You know. Now they're coming in. Are they keeping kosher? No. Acts chapter 15, the famous counsel to what we should put on the Gentiles. Are they being circumcised, male children, on the eighth day? No. Are they keeping Sabbath? No. All these things are going, and you're, you're a Jewish Christian, and you're, you're navigating through this stuff, let alone you're being persecuted. You know what I'm saying? 
by Rome and probably by family and friends are saying, are you a follower of the Messiah? Are you not going to the temple? Are you not offering sacrifice? It was going to be destroyed in 30 years. But nevertheless, do you understand? This is a tsunami. We sit here 2,000 years later and it's, we think, okay, yeah, we don't keep Sabbath. I mean, we don't from sundown Friday to sundown. We don't keep kosher. Uh, you know, we don't do all of these things. We don't make the three mandatory feast days that a, an adult male was supposed to make to Jerusalem three times a year. We don't do it, do we? We don't offer animal sacrifice. You know, it's all gone. But for a Jewish Christian, it must have been, you've got to like appreciate what they're going through trying to sort all this kind of stuff out. Yes? Well, they did and they didn't. They knew a new covenant was coming. And when Jesus came, the, the, the person to watch, of course, is Paul. Because he epitomized Judaism. I mean, he was a rabbi. I love Paul. He goes, I, I'm not going to even count my past. You know, it doesn't mean nothing to me. Even though I was a Jew, a rabbi, taught by Gamaliel, tribe of Benjamin, this. I'm not even going to bring that up. But, you know, like, <laughs> but Paul was the guy. He even persecuted the church. And for him to do a, not a 180, a 360, you know, just go in that other direction, that's powerful. And what, what got them over the obstacle was now they were part of the new, they were new covenant people. They were a temple of the Holy Spirit. But I think so much in Christ is what people saw him as, or what they saw God meant. Yeah. And Everything flipped. Yeah, I mean, the, the, like on the PowerPoint this morning, the sermon, the stones of the temple or the temple wall are, so the temple was gone 30 years after Jesus ascends up to heaven. You know, the Romans come, they lay siege, and Jesus prophesied it in Matthew chapter 24. But there's no more priesthood, there's no more animal sacrifice, there's no more temple, there's no more God dwelling in the Holy of Holies. There's no more, there's no more, there's no more. Why? Because a new and living way has now come in. A new, do you understand? A new and living way. A new covenant. And all the old law has been ratcheted up. That's why when Jesus says, Moses said to you, thou shalt not kill. But I say to you, if you say in your heart, you know, thou raka, you know, you, you really harbor indignation against a friend. He says, it's like you murder Moses said to you, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look upon a woman lust, you see, he ratchets everything up. He, he, he takes the law and moves it at a higher plane. Because nobody, James is even going to say here, um, verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, what's the royal law of the scripture? Verse 8. What's the royal law? Yeah, we call it the golden rule. They said to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the, they call it the royal law. Because if you, if you follow the royal law, if you love your brother, you're not going to kill him. If you love your brother, you're not going to um, bear false witness against him. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So he's saying, here's the, don't, you can't keep the law anymore. Um, but Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you commit sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of the whole. 
You, we cannot keep the law. You understand? That, that, it ain't going to happen. Because if the law, they had over 620 laws. You, see? you break one link on that chain, the whole chain collapses. We can't keep the law. That's why this whole movement, it's a whole separate issue. Maybe some of you are familiar with the Hebrew roots movement or this return to Judaism and people that want to go back under the law. I do multiple Bible studies, and I hit, every now and get these individuals, and they, I go, you know, how are you going to keep the law? I mean, really. I had one fellow, it was cute. He always wanted me to go with him to a Sabbath, which is Saturday, you know. For, and he says, come on, John, I want you to meet the Sabbath here. I go, and his name was John, too. I says, I can't go, John, I'll be breaking the Sabbath. He goes, what do you mean? I says, well, how far away is it? He's about 20 miles from me. I says, you can only travel three quarters of a mile on the Sabbath. Look at Acts chapter 1. I said, I think this <laughs> I said, all right, whatever. Yes, Kim, I'm sorry. Did you have your hand up? No, I oh, I'm sorry. I did. It's just that in defense of the Jews, they did not have the New Testament, right? So, I mean, look at how many times we've been reading the New Testament. It's solidified us yeah. in our own thinking. They didn't have that. Sure. Now, what they did have that we don't have, especially the early church at Jerusalem, they saw, they conversed with a dying, rising Savior. Now that's spectacular. But you're right, to your point. Because what the New Testament gives us is high detail of not only our basis of our faith, but then how to live that faith. You know, put off the old man, put on the new man, do this, we, have, we share communion. So, I mean, yeah, you're, to your point, we are in a much better position. That's why... Jesus will say to Thomas, who touches him, unless I touch, he says, blessed are you, Thomas, for you see and you believe. More blessed are those who do not see, and that's us, you see? So in a sense, we, you, to your point, you were in a more blessed position. Yeah. Somebody else had their hand up? Yes, please. The end of life and life eternal is a pretty good story. But when you yeah, I mean, <laughs> it isn't, yep. But what you, 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 nearly all religions have some concept of an afterlife. Do you understand? You know, Islam, they believe your good deeds weigh bad deeds like that, and Allah will accept you. In Buddhism, uh, it's what you do in this life is going to be carried over and you're going to be kind of reincarnated and karma is going to be dealt with. But yeah, I mean, the thought of afterlife. Uh, people will give their lives for. You understand? If they think they're going to have an... They might be wrong, like if, if you're a, a, a terrorist, suicide bomber, and you think, if I go and blow up this marketplace, that I'm going to go into the very presence of God and have all these benefits in, in uh, paradise. That, that's an incentive. If you're a kamikaze pilot, and you're flying out in World War II, and you think, I'm doing this in the name of the emperor and the rising sun and I'm going to have whatever, whatever, you know, that, that's a selling point. That, that, yeah, you understand? So, yeah, afterlife can be a selling point, but what you want to do is a, the present moment. The, the selling point was a dying, rising savior. You see, that, that, that's the gospel. And that's why we don't, that's why he, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 15, if he's not risen, then what? The whole faith collapses. Our thing is based on historic event. 
All other religions would survive with just the teaching of their founder. If you really understood Buddhism and the four precepts of Buddhism, and you understand Islam, the Shahada, and all, you could, you know, be a good Muslim. And it, it could survive without the founder. If you had that, we do not survive without our founder because it's not based on just his teachings, or it's based on his death and his resurrection. I have a question about kamikaze pilots. Why did they wear a helmet? Okay, yes. I'm sorry. We're nearing the end of the class. Okay. Um, okay. Now, he says here, so this is this thing of the law. But be, be sensitive. This thing is growing where people want to go back under the law. It's really curious, but I mean, it's a, I don't know how many have heard this movement. There are these movements out there today. But it was in the New Testament, too. Wherever Paul would preach or Peter, who often followed on their heels to get after new believers? What do they call them? Judaizers. Because what, what were they saying to Gentile believers? You've got to follow the law kosher, circumcision, all these other things. And they, and they, they, they didn't. Okay. Um, then he says, um, verse 12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to those who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now he's talking about us. It's just a little like when Jesus gives the, our Father, he says, forgive and it will be forgiven you. Show mercy and mercy will be shown to you. You know, he's, he, James is very practical in this. Verse 14, he'll say, What is it profit, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? How can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and you pass them by, and you say, Depart in peace, be warm, be filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does that profit? You see, you see, now he's going to bring in this idea of faith and works. Any thoughts on this, what he's trying to get across here? He's, 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 it's really interesting. He's saying, yes, please. There were people that were saying in the public, like, I don't want you to talk to church anymore. Just struggling and all these stuff. You know, I, I don't want it anymore because it lets you go beyond. Oh, you mean on the news or something? Okay. Yes, yes, right. Okay. Yeah, any thought on that? That's a good thought or point to make here. It, what, what, he, what he's getting here, maybe I don't know if this is, addresses that, is our faith is expressed through works, okay? I mean, if I have a really good watch, okay, inner workings, remember the old days, Swiss jewelry, they had the little jewels, I mean, just a really good works in here. But I had no minute hand or hour hand or second hand. The works would still be really good, but in a sense, the watch itself would be, yeah. So think of the minute hand, the hour hand is our words and our works are displaying the inner working of the watch. You understand what I'm saying? So we should be a people about good works to look at. I mean, in this, think of Bay Presbyterian Church when we bought the Family Center. Now that houses like, what, 15 or 18 different ministries of the near west side? 
that's like a good work that we can be part of. It didn't really benefit our property here in any which way, but it was an extension of ourselves. That's the power of the body of Christ wherever we're at. We could be a little tiny church in Southeast Asia, but they're doing something to reach their community. When Marie and I visited the church we were part of up on the Thai Myanmar border two months ago, it's amazing that this church comes together like this on a Sunday. Afterwards, they have a fellowship meal where they really connect with each other. And then they have this big vision for the community at large. It's a very, it's like a border town. It's a little gangster, but they, 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 they are reaching out to this town in, in really cool ways, real practical ways, because there's widows, there's refugees there, there's child labor issues. That's the power of, of expressing our inward faith in an outward display, not wanting credit or anything like that, but just doing it because of the love of God. Any, yes, please. Yeah, it, if, if you notice, it's a good point, because James kind of loops. He, he goes off on this kind of tangent. Remember how he ended chapter 1? This is pure religion, that you visit the widow and the fatherless. That's a work of mercy. And now he's coming back to that idea. So he, he like when we come to the next chapter, or chapter 4, he'll get real big now on the tongue, you know, the power of the tongue. So it's a good point. He, he, he's different than the other writers you know he, they all have their own style but james is he bang, you know he, he's almost proverbial boom boom and then he circles back and then he hits them hard again convicts them and chastises you know corrects them and then he'll say my beloved brethren i want you you know but he's walking them along on how to live a practical christian life this is really what he wants he doesn't want people to be in a holy huddle and to be self-righteous and to just say i got faith that's it no, he wants them to be a light in that particular community. Yes, please. Uh, a little glimpse I did the uh, Redwood Church in Lithuania on the trip had um, marketing team members. It was an old lady builder in a little village that had running water and electricity. And not only did they use that as a sort of outreach of community, but it brought people in. So while you were taking the laundry at the church, you could go to the services or Bible studies. Yeah. Yeah, little, yeah. That, that's, um, there, there was a story told, it was actually written up in a mission magazine. This woman worked for the U.S. government. She's American. She goes to live in Bangkok, right? She knows no language, no Thai language, no culture, no nothing. But she, she's a Christian. She has a heart for the university students. She lives fairly close to the university. She opens her house, has food, uh, helps them with English, and, and teaches, she uses the Bible as her textbook, right? And so, and then afterward, they call her Ma, which is mother in Thai. And uh, she, she gets them doing this, and they come here, and they meet people, and they sing uh, Christian songs. They don't, but they do it in English to learn English. And then when they know enough, and they accept Christ, she doesn't push it, but she tells them to teach. They go, we don't know. She says, read this and share it. The thing starts growing and growing. And like 30 years later, the writer of this Mission Quarterly, this magazine, is one of the head Thai Christian believers of all of Thailand. And he came to Christ to her home of this woman who did not know Thai, didn't know culture, did all she had was the love of God and an open door, open heart, open door, and with very little training, and she did this. You see, she expressed her faith in an outward manifestation. 
It's just powerful, you know. Yes, somebody, I will close up. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're right. Life bears fruit. And that's going back to John chapter 15. If you'll abide in me and my word abide, you will bear fruit. And then later Jesus says you'll bear much fruit. Always remember this. Fruit is not meant for the tree that bears it. Okay? Fruit is not meant for the tree that bears it. Fruit, if you go to Florida or somewhere and you see the orange trees or whatever, the, the color the shape, the aroma, is for people or animals to come and get it. So too, when we do our good works, we don't want credit, but we want take it. It's for you. You see, say, any gift that we have to the glory of God. But contained within every piece of fruit is what? See. That's why Jesus says, if you'll give a cup of cold water in my name, you will in no wise lose your reward. All right, we'll pick, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's one person that dies in the New Testament they have to call Peter and the Apostles to come and revive her from the dead. Who was it and what was her ministry? Dorcas. Dorcas, and what was her ministry? A needle and a thread. They showed Peter the garments. And when she died, they said, stop, hold the floor, stop the train, get Peter, maybe we can, we got to have Dorcas back. <laughs> what was her ministry? A needle and a thread. It says they show the garments. That's the power of ministry. What's in your hand? What's in my hand that God can bless and help? Okay, who would like to close in a word of prayer, please?